As I've studied that passage that was, was read earlier this week, I will tell you what I have been thinking about. I've been thinking about the clash of two kingdoms against each other. God's kingdom represented by John the Baptist and man's kingdom, man's desire to be the king of his own life represented by, by Herod. Quite a contrast in the two lives. And as I thought about the contrast between these two lives, I thought about a proverb that I read in my quiet time this week that sums up the contrast. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. What a great description of John the Baptist to the very end, right? But it goes on, it says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And as you see this conflicted king driven by many different motivations, I think that's a great summary of King Herod. This is historical. It happened. But it's also very practical because as we look at what motivated and drove these two men, I want us to all ask the question, what is it? Who is it? that motivates my life? What is most important to me? What drives my thinking, my words, my, my actions? What motivates me? All through this passage, you'll notice over and over, Mark calls him King Herod. Many believe that title is kind of ironic because he was not a king at all. History tells us he really wanted to be he wanted to be king so bad that he had requested of Augustus, could, could I be called king? And Augustus said, no. What he is is a, a wannabe king. And Mark writes, as you and I know, if you look back to chapter 1, knowing that there is only one eternal and true king. You remember Mark chapter 1, verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. No, he wasn't a king. He was a Herod. Did you know there, there were more than one Herod? Do you know that? A lot of times when we hear the name Herod, we, we think only of, of the one who was responsible for the infanticide around Jesus' birth. That was Herod the Great. He had a lot of sons of whom our Herod today is. His name was Herod Antipas. And the tension... Violence and incest in that family would be the stuff of the National Enquirer if they lived today. They were the mafia before there was the mafia. The, Herod the Great was the godfather before the godfather. He, he killed a lot of his own sons. You know, I think about the tension between the throne in England and Harry and Meghan right now. That's nothing compared to what was going on in this family they're talking back and forth and arguing. He, he killed his own sons because of his own insecurity. This was one of the ones that made it through. It was so violent that there was a phrase among the Jews that said it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons because he treated the pigs better. That's the kind of family our, our Herod comes out of, Herod Antipas. He was a tetrarch. That means he ruled part of the land. Galilee and Perea, along with two others of his brothers during this time, from 4 
A.D. to 39 A.D., after Herod the Great had passed away. And he, he had two main hangouts. One was in a city called Tiberias, but Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that what happened today happened at his other hangout, the fortress of Mesheris, which was on a cliff near the Dead Sea, a rugged, lonely place surrounded by ravines, hard to get to. If we could put a picture up, you can go there today and see the, the remains of this fortress where Josephus tells us the events of our account happened. They even tell us that you can go down below the fortress and see dungeons. One historian tells us there are still metal rings on the walls inside those dungeons, one of which perhaps was John the Baptist himself was chained to at this time of history. This was a historical account that went from the dungeon below to the, the banquet hall above. But before we get into that account, I want to talk about the different reactions to Jesus. You remember last week He had sent His apostles out two by two. He had already been doing many signs, and now they're going out doing signs and preaching that folks should repent and turn to Jesus. Verse 14 says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Herod was picking up on the wind what's going on with Jesus and His guys. And there's all these different reactions. And back then, it wasn't like today. Most of the reactions are online, right? Thumbs up, thumbs down, smiley face. These were all in person, and it took longer. That's why Herod was just now catching wind. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. You say, how could they think that? Like, John baptized Jesus. Don't they realize they're contemporaries? These folks didn't because of what I just said. It took time for word to travel, right? They couldn't get on Facebook and, and see what happened at the Jordan River that day. So some of them thought John, John the Baptist was back from the dead. That, that's who Jesus is. Others said he's Elijah. Others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. And most believe the center of that phrase right there is exactly why he thought it was John the Baptist. He had a guilty conscience. He had unjustly had John the Baptist executed, and now he's like, uh-oh. He's back, almost like Jesus is this boogeyman. John the Baptist come back from the dead. Oh no! His conscience is, is tearing him up. Verse 17, for it was Herod who was sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. History verifies all this. He took a visit to Rome where his brother Philip and his wife lived. And this Herod and his brother's wife had an affair there. It led to her leaving her husband. And, and this Herod divorced his own wife who was the daughter of Aretas. King of the Nabataeans. He divorced his wife and took his brother's wife home to him. It gets worse. Not only was this adultery, she was also his niece. So it was also incestuous. 
And this Herod, though they were Edomites by, by descent from Esau, he had converted to Judaism, so he knew better. Adultery and incest. And that's why John the Baptist, the prophet of God, got up in his face. And that's why he's freaking out now that Jesus is coming. John, John the Baptist is raised from the dead. His conscience was hounding him. And as I think about the, the horrors of a guilty conscience of unrepented sin, I think about a story that Sarah shared with me this week about the danger of even a little compromise with sin or Satan. The, the story was told by a Haitian pastor of a man that wanted to buy a house from, from another man. And the first man said, I'll give it to you, but I just want to, I'll, I'll sell it to you, but I just want to keep one nail. One nail. The second man said, that seems like a fair enough deal. Only a year or two later, the first man wanted the, the house back. The second man wouldn't sell it. So the first man went out and found the carcass of a dead dog and hung it on his nail. Until the stench and the filth of that dog so filled the air at the house that the, the second owner had to leave it. It took over. That's what's going on in Herod's conscience. His guilt is racking him because of what he had done. He knew it was wrong. In his heart, he was a hunted man because of his unrepented of sin. One man compared this process to a man who had escaped a Glasgow prison. True story. That after 48 hours of liberty, he was recaptured, cold, hungry, and exhausted. When they talked to him, he said, it wasn't worth it, escaping. I didn't have a minute, he said. Hunted, hunted all the time. You don't have a chance. You can't stop to eat. You can't stop to sleep. Hunted. And the author who shared that goes on to say, that is the word which so well describes the life of a man who has done some evil thing that remains unconfessed and unrepented. He's hunted. As I look at the motivations of these two men, I want to start by looking at what was it that drove Herod to this point where he would execute God's prophet. And I want to sum it up as he had mixed motivations in his life. He's human. And I think as we look at the life of Herod, we'd be wise to say, do I have mixed motivations in my life? Because they can get us into trouble. That's what got him into trouble. He was a swirl of all kinds of different things that drove him. Let me show you. Jesus Luke chapter 7, verse 23, he had talked about John. Remember, he said, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Would you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What was Jesus saying? John the Baptist is not some reed blowing in the wind, watching this pole, watching that pole, going this way, going that way. But he goes on to talk about those in palaces, which is a fine foreshadowing of the fact that Herod is just that. He is a reed blown around by all the many winds around him. Mixed motivations. What were they? Well, one, surely he shared his, his father's insecurity. When you start hearing word about another king, preaching another kingdom, right away, you don't want that. That's why his father tried to kill Jesus when he was born, right? He, he shares some of that, his own ambition. I don't want to hear anything about another king. I'm in charge here. 
That's some of what drove him. Verse 19 tells us another thing that drove him. Herodias had a grudge against John. The, the Greek can literally be translated, had it in for him. She had it in for John, because what? If her husband listened to him, their marriage was going to fall apart. She wasn't going to be his royal bride anymore, right? And wanted to put him to death. He was influenced by his wife, Herodias. Which is interesting, because you remember Jesus said that John was Elijah, who was to come, right? And many times we make the connection that they were both bold prophets who spoke the truth to kings, Elijah to King Ahab and John the Baptist to Herod. But here's another similarity. Both of those kings had very influential and wicked wives that were influencing them in their decisions. There was a Jewish quote. I, I hesitated to even share it with Carolyn. I was like, should I, should I share this at church or not? But I will. I, I, I felt it was interesting. There was a Jewish quote at this time that said, a good woman could marry a bad man because he would turn out to be a good man. But a bad woman could not marry a good man because he would become a bad man. It was speaking about the incredible power of a wife to influence a husband. You see why I hesitated to share it. And I want to clarify, that's not the only way it goes. Okay, that's how it happened in these cases. It could go the other way too. Uh, a good husband or a bad husband can influence his wife as well. But in these cases, it's a, these men were influenced. Now Herod had enough of his own wickedness to, to go along with it. However, he had his own ambitions. He had his wife. But here's where the mixture comes in. He also has this respect for John the Baptist. Check this out. It's almost hard to believe if you don't read it. She wanted to put him to death, but it says she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. The only reason John was alive those days in the jail, not executed, was because Herod knew this was a righteous and holy man. It says when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. Yeah, you know why he was perplexed? Because he had all these motivations going on inside of him. Right? He knew this, but he's motivated by this. And yet he heard him gladly. It reminds you of a later account in the book of Acts where one of the Roman governors did that with Paul. He's in jail, but pull him out every now and again, listen to him, see what he has to say, put him back. This mixture of, of motivations. But an opportunity came. When Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. Many, based on the response of the drunken men in the room, believe this was a very lustful dance by this young woman, Josephus, tells us was named Salome. We live in a society where families will sit and watch this kind of thing at halftime of Super Bowl. So this doesn't shock us like it should. But in this society, this was appalling. A Jewish mother would never send her daughter in a group of men to do this. And even most Gentile mothers would not send their daughter in. But here's Herodias sending her daughter in to dance. We believe Herodias was behind it because we'll see in a moment the king 
Watch the dance. Again, another one of his relatives, which makes it that much darker, said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask? Why'd she go to mom to ask? (laughs) And why did mom have such a quick answer? She said, the head of John the Baptist. The daughter comes back in immediately with haste to the king and asks, saying, I want you to give me at once. She added that. I want it right now. Don't don't want Herod to, to get out of this. Why don't you give me at once the head of John the Baptist? And oh, by the way, on a platter. On a platter. This next section, we're going to see Herod was very concerned about the opinions of people around him. He was very concerned about the opinions of his guests at this party. That's another thing that swayed him, the opinions of men. Verse 26, the king was exceedingly sorry. It's almost like he sobered up at this moment, like, oh my goodness. He knew it was wrong. He was sorry. But, but because of his oaths, And his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. So you see the mixed motivations in this man. But in this last section especially, when it says because of his oaths, you know what else I see? Our incredible ability as humans to compartmentalize our lives. Why do I say that? All of a sudden, this man cares about his oaths? He didn't care about his oaths when he divorced his wife for his brother's wife, did he? But all of a sudden, he cares about his oaths. We have this incredible ability to compartmentalize. Sometimes we do it like this, God, I'll give you Sunday, but the other six days, that's, that's for pursuing my kingdom, right? You just stay out of that. Or, or we'll say, God, I'll follow your word in this part of my life, but even though you say this part is, is wrong, I, you, you can't have that. We have this incredible ability as human beings to compartmentalize. Verse 29 says, When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I want you to listen to the words of Charles Erdman. I think he does a good job kind of looking into the soul of Herod. And these words are instructive as we think about our own motivations. It says, He recognized his sin, but he was dominated by its power. He was touched by the picture of purity which John painted, but he lacked strength to break the shackles which bound him. It's a dangerous symptom when one who lives in sin enjoys the emotion started by messages of holiness and virtue, yet continues in sin contrary to the light and against the warnings of conscience. This is to prepare the way for a fatal fall or an irrevocable choice which leads to ruin. The dangers of living from mixed motivation. It's a tragedy. It became a historical 
tragedy, his downfall. He divorced his first wife. I told you she was the daughter of a king. History tells us that king was enraged by the fact that Herod did that and later assaulted Herod's armies and destroyed them. And the Jews all looked at that event and saw it as God's hand of discipline on his life for doing that to his wife. Later on, at the influence of Herodias once more, she said, let's try again to get you that king title. They went to another emperor, Caligula, said, please, could I be called king? Only during the process, as they vetted him, like they do today when somebody runs for president, they found he had a stash of weapons that many accused him of preparing for rebellion against the emperor. So the emperor said, you are not only not going to be a king, you're going into exile in Gaul. And Herod and his wife Herodias finished their lives in exile. That's the historical downfall. That's the historical tragedy. But far darker than that is the eternal downfall that comes when we reject Jesus. Luke 23, you remember this Herod saw Jesus during the trials of Jesus. Pilate sent him. You can see his heart and how he responds. Luke 23, 8 says, When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. Why would Jesus not answer this man? He knew his heart. He knew he wasn't sincere. He was just there playing games. And I'll tell you, as a fellow human being, as a, as a pastor, one place my heart goes with this is, oh, what if he had just listened to John the Baptist? He had so many chances. What if he had listened? What if he had repented that night in the banquet when he felt sorry instead of going forwards anyway? What if he had said, hold up, hold up, i got to go somewhere. And he ran down to John's cell. He said, John, you were right. You were right. I've sinned against God. I need to turn and trust in Jesus and His kingdom. Forgive me, Lord. There's another king that did that in the Old Testament, guilty of adultery and murder. King David. You read Psalm 51 and you hear the beauty of things that he said, like, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose trespasses are not counted against him. And I think all of that could have been Herod. He had so many chances. If he had realized that the nail with the dead dog and all the filth in his life, Jesus came to take that nail to the cross and cover it in his blood, and he could have been set free. But he rejected it time and time and time again. Now, contrast, strong contrast. I want to take a minute as we close and look at John the Baptist. Far removed from tragedy, we see the glory of God and his kingdom at work in this man's life. He was not driven by mixed motivations. You know what drove John the Baptist? He was a whole-hearted servant of Jesus Christ. Wholehearted. 
all that he was. We sing that song, arms high and heart abandoned. I was thinking about John. For him, that was so much more than emotion if he was here doing that. That was his life. Wholehearted servant of Jesus. You say, what does it mean to be a wholehearted servant of Jesus? How did this play out in John's life? Well, one way, he was filled with the Spirit. Luke 1, the angel had told his father that when John the Baptist would be born, listen to this, Luke 1.14, you'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. What's it mean for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, believer? It means for us to be completely yielded and surrendered to what He wants to do in and through our lives. He puts His finger on an area, says, do this. We say, yes, Lord. He puts His finger on an area, says, repent of this and move on. We say, yes, Lord. He was filled with the Spirit from birth. How could you possibly have the boldness to stand before Herod when you know he could take your life? Think about that. You know why he had that boldness? Because long before he had bowed himself at the feet of a much higher king. We, we saw that already in Mark. Aaron quoted it earlier, Mark 1.7, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He knew he was serving a much higher king. And when we set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, and we realize he's far above all rule and authority and power, it gives us boldness, even before earthly kings. He was single-minded. Single-minded. He was wholeheartedly focused on Christ. I think about what Paul said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11. He was concerned that they would be led astray from the truth of who Jesus was in the gospel because of these false teachers. And listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 11.3. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know what that word sincere means? It means single-minded. And I think about the danger of distractions. I've been dealing with them on a surface level this week with my allergies. I have been sneezing so much and blowing my nose so much. I sit down to try to do something, work on a sermon, read a book, help with dinner, play with the kids, whatever, and then I sneeze seven times and blow my nose twice and I'm so wiped out for half an hour. I'm like, oh, anybody else? They, they, they take me off what I was trying to focus on. And I think that's how Satan often works too with distractions in our lives. Paul wants us single-mindedly devoted to Christ. But we allow all these other things to take his primary place. He offered his whole life to God. His whole life. I think about a conversation Jesus had with religious leaders later on in his ministry. They came to him with a coin. Remember that? And he says, should we pay taxes? And he says, show me a coin. And he looks at it and says, whose image is on there? And they say, Caesar. What's he say? Yeah, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. Caesar's image is on the coin, give it to Caesar. Whose image is on every human being that's ever been created? 
the image of God. Give to God what is God's. He wants it all. He deserves it all. Our kids have fruit snacks in their lunch sometimes. They come in those pre-packaged little things. Mots and I got one out of the box this week and I felt that there's one fruit snack in there. <laughs> you know, I thought, like, man, they gypped us. I'll call this company, see if I can get a free box or something. <laughs> they gypped us. And I wonder, as you and I think we're, we're doing great by giving God this one little part of our lives, I'll give him Sunday. Or I'll give him this, but not this. If he doesn't feel the same, I don't want just part of you. I want it all. I want it all. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, one thing I thought about is that we could realize that John is not the last one imprisoned and killed for his faith. It goes on to this day around our world. This morning, there are brothers and sisters in Christ sitting in cells, separated from their families and loved ones because they've been faithful to Jesus. Some of them possibly facing imminent death. We can remember them as we remember John and pray for them. Link arms with them in prayer. Don't forget them. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Will McCoy brought me this book this week. It's the Voice of the Martyrs 2021 Global Prayer Guide. Something that's been heavy on his heart to pray for Christians in these other countries. And March 24th, right here, 5.30 to 7.30 at our prayer catalyst meeting. Part of that evening, we're going to spend time praying for one or two or three of these countries specifically. and The believers that live there this morning. And pray for them. We can also ask ourselves and ask God to show, show us, if you're a believer, listen, am I a wholehearted, wholehearted servant of Jesus? Or if I'm honest, am I, am I living with mixed motivations today? Have I become distracted, called off of what really matters to my King? Once you listen to some Biblical truth about wholeheartedness. Jesus talked about the most important thing. What sums up the law, right? Mark 12, 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And we have this great promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We also have encouragement in the book of 2 Chronicles of all places. Have you, anybody found encouragement in 2 Chronicles this week? There's a, a king named Asa who had relied on God in the past, but now found himself relying on other countries instead of relying on God. And God sent a prophet named Hanani to Asa. I want you to listen to what he said, 2 Chronicles 16, 7-9. Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria 
and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Then he talks to him about the, the previous time when he had relied on God. He said, were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Then listen to this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. He's looking for those whose hearts are turned to Him wholly to support them. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those ones. The prophet closes his words by saying, you've done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. I want to close this morning by inviting you to to talk with the Lord right where you're at. First, I want to ask you if you've come to Jesus in repentance and trust to receive Him as your Savior and Lord. Oh, if Herod had done that, and maybe you heard that and you're saying, I need to do that this morning. The invitation is still there. Now is the day of grace. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Turn to Him in repentance. Trust in His sacrifice. He rose again, victorious over your deepest, darkest enemies to set you free. Come to Jesus. And for those of us who, who are believers, ask God to search us. Am I wholehearted this morning? Am I filled with the Spirit? Am I single-minded? Am I giving Him all of me? Or am I holding back? David prayed it like this in Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Take a, take a moment or two and talk to the Lord. I want to share with you two beautiful promises and encouragements for when persecution comes to the life of the believer. Luke 21, 16 through 19. Jesus said, You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. How can he say, some of you they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish? Because John's rejoicing today. (laughs) He's in the light of God. He's more alive than he ever was, as D.L. Moody put it when he passed away. And Jesus says this in Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. 
Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How beautiful is that? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the faithfulness of John the Baptist to prepare the way for you. And we know as we look through what happened around his death, it, it foreshadows your own faithfulness on the path to the cross as our sacrificial Lamb of God. Thank you for your faithfulness, that you're a God who keeps faith forever. Please help us today, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit to follow in that path. We may not be facing jail cells or execution, but in the little ways where we're tempted to, to leave you out or compromise or take the comfortable road when we know we should be sharing the light of Jesus with those around us, give us boldness. I think of the, the words of Matthew Henry when he looks at John the Baptist faithfully pre presenting Herod's need to repent. That it's better for us to be persecuted here for speaking the truth than to be cursed by unbelievers for all eternity for not sharing it. Lord, each of us have people that you put in our lives that need the gospel. By your Spirit, give us boldness. Help us to have that eternal perspective. This is not all there is. There's eternal glory in your presence ahead. And we pray for our brothers and sisters this morning who may be in those jail cells. Lord, that you would comfort them. Be a strong source of support. Love, courage your spirit would give them the ability to persevere to the end knowing that eternal glory awaits in your presence help us to be faithful as we stand with you and with them to proclaim your word even as we take our offering this morning I pray that you'd help us as a church to use that to steward it for that purpose may we be faithful in Jesus name Amen